Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Have we figured out what show we want to see tonight? I've got a few in mind. Should we just start at the top of the theater district and work our way down? Sure. Whoa. What's going on here? They have all of 51st Street blocked off. And 50th. And 49th. The police have everything from 46th to 52nd Street closed off in the theater district. I don't know what's going on. Why don't we just go over to Schubert Alley and see what all is playing in the theaters we can get to and decide from there. Sounds good. Okay, let's see. Wait, do you see what I see? Is that who I think it is? And is she in what I think she's in? Do you think they have any tickets for tonight? Only one way to find out. Let's run over to the Helen Hayes Theater now. It's just right around the corner. Come on. Hi everyone, and welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the cult classic show, Xanadu. So hurry and take your seats, it looks like the show is starting! Hello everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Well, I hope you brought your leg warmers, you've teased your hair, and have your best pair of skates on, because we are taking you back to the 1980s via the 2007 production of Xanadu. This unlikely hit of that season skated into the heart of Broadway and the heart of audiences, and for that, the theater would never be the same. But first... Let us go back to that fateful stage and set the scene for this epic production. The show is based on the 1980 film of the same name, starring Olivia Newton-John. The original film was based on the 1947 Hayworth film, Down to Earth. The film barely broke even at the box office and did not have good reviews. The soundtrack, however, was a commercial hit. The show held on to its hits from the film, as well as integrated some classic disco songs. The team assembled to bring this 1980s classic to the stage is as follows. Set by David Gallo, costumes by David Zinn, makeup by John Carter, hair by Charles LaPointe, lights by Howell Binkley, sound by T. Richard Fitzgerald and Carl Casella, Projection design by Zachary Borove. Choreography by Dan Neches. 
The music and lyrics were by Jeff Lynn and John Farrar, and the book was by Douglas Carter Bean. Bringing it all together was the director, Christopher Ashley. Bean was influenced by the script of the 1981 fantasy film Clash of the Titans. That is where he found the inspiration for the subplot where Kira's sister dooms her to fall in love with a mortal and in curing the wrath of Zeus. One more thing of a technical note, Xanadu refers to the site of the Mongolian Emperor, Emperor Kublai Khan's Summer Palace. The show arrived at the Helen Hayes Theater on July 10th, 2007. It would play 512 performances and close on September 28th, 2008. The show broke the single-day ticket sales record at the box office of the Helen Hayes the next day after it opened, once the reviews for the show came out, which were almost all positive. More on that later in the show, though. This show would be nominated for four Tony Awards in 2008, but sadly would not come up with any awards that evening. So, now lace up your skates and let's head to the roller disco. We go back to the year 1980 and see chalk artist Sonny Malone. He is dissatisfied with the sidewalk mural of the Greek muses, who are the daughters of Zeus, and that he determines to kill himself. On Mount Olympus, Clio, the youngest and most perky muse, convinces her six sisters to travel to Venice Beach. They raise out, or sorry, rise out of the sidewalk mural to inspire Sonny. Zeus's only request is that the muses must always be disguised from mortals. Clio has the brilliant idea to wear roller skates, leg warmers, and sport in Australian accent, and the others agree. Clio changes her name to something contemporary, Kira. After being quickly inspired, Sonny decides that he can combine all the arts and something athletic into one spectacular form of entertainment, a roller disco. Melpomene, the oldest sister, and Calliope, another sister, are jealous that Clio is the leader of the muses, even though she is the youngest. Their father, Zeus, has also promised Xanadu to her, although no one knows what exactly that entails. They plot to discredit Clio and cause her to get banished by tricking her into breaking one of Zeus's rules. A muse must not fall in love with a mortal. So the two decide to curse Kira and Sunny to fall in love. Meanwhile, Sunny finds the perfect location for the roller disco, a long abandoned theater in the Fairfax district of LA called Xanadu. Kira inspires him to locate the opener in a phone book, and they set up a meeting with real estate mogul Danny McGuire. Danny used to be a big band clarinetist before he started in the real estate game. Sonny visits a hard-hearted Danny in his posh office in downtown LA and tries to convince him to donate the theater for the roller disco because it would bring the arts to the Fairfax district and drive up real estate values. Danny scoffs even though he had once had plans to open the theater himself. As Sonny leaves, Kira arrives, jogging in Danny's memories of an old love and dance partner of his. 
She looked suspiciously like Kira, but her name was Kitty. Kitty tells Danny that although he had let his greed stop him from pursuing his dream to open the theater 35 years ago, he has a chance to redeem himself now by opening a roller disco with Sonny. Danny wakes from his daydream and goes to find Sonny. He tells Sonny that if he can get the disco up and running, one day he'll give him 25% of the take from the disco. Excited, Sonny agrees. Sonny finds Kira and tells her the good news. She is not impressed with the deal that he has just made. It is this moment that the evil sisters work their curse. They have the winged arrows, all with Mama Cupid, shoot Kira and Sonny with the arrows of love. Kira is soon overwhelmed with guilt over her loving feelings and having created her own art alongside Sonny. Both of these things violate Zeus's restrictions on the muses. With the help of some of the other muses, Kira and Sonny fix up the old theater. Danny agrees to go ahead with the opening. Clio realizes that she's falling in love with Sonny and tells him that she must leave, but the evil sisters are not finished. They now offer Danny piles of money if he will tear down the theater and build condos in its place. Danny, unable to resist that kind of money, tells Sonny the deal is off. Kira comes back to tell Sonny that she loves him, but the evil sisters tell her that she has broken Zeus's rules and that she must tell Sonny the truth. Kira reveals all to Sonny, including that her name is Clio, but he does not believe her and is upset. He suggests that she is a crackpot. He also doubts that she really loves him, and Kira gets angry and hurt. The evil sisters have triumphed, and Kira sets off for Mount Olympus to receive her punishment from Zeus. At the same time, Sunny and Danny discuss Kira and seeing her in the sky, and it all makes sense. Danny tells Sunny not to let go of his muse because of foolish pride as he did back in the 1940s. Sonny realizes that he loves Kira and decides to find her, even if that means climbing Mount Olympus. Back on Mount Olympus, Zeus's wives ask him to take pity on Clio. Thetis retells the story of Achilles and his vulnerable heel. All the demigods and demigoddesses are so afflicted. This gives Clio an epiphany. She, too, is invulnerable except for her heels, but... When the evil sisters had shot her with the arrows of love, she had been wearing the mighty leg warmers, so she must have been completely invulnerable. This means that she really did love Sunny. Kira then declares her love for Sunny and rips off her leg warmers. She attempts to fly away with Pegasus and Sunny before Zeus pulls them down with copper chains. Sonny brashly declares that he would fight Zeus for the, the woman he loves. Zeus, impressed with his pluck, decides to pardon Clio. The two evil sisters are displeased. The lovers are reunited, and Zeus reveals what Xanadu is. True love and the ability to create and share art. Clio and Sonny go back to L.A. and back to Xanadu. The, the end. end.
So now let's discuss the show. <laughs> it's Xanadu. So my first exposure to this show was the movie because it was one of my mom's favorite movies. Did you drop acid first? No. And you missed out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This show, I mean, I definitely love the musical more than I like the movie. This show is just pure fun. It's silly. It makes fun of itself. In the best way. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such, well, I'll get into that later, but like, yeah, it's, this is one of those musicals. It's, it's like Evil Dead. It's supposed to be so bad, but it's so good. If that makes any sense. The story, look, it's silly, but they've done it so well that it's it's good, if that makes sense. They, they, they did their work. I know that this is a silly story, and I know that we're doing silly things, and we're going to build a rolly disco. But by in, in embracing the silliness, it actually helps make the story better. Absolutely. It's a classic Greek tale with a Broadway twist. Right. Did you just call it a rolly disco? I did call it a rolly disco. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's different from the film in that it's adding the evil sisters. Right. Which is a great twist. And it couldn't have been played by two better people, Mary Testa and um, I always Jackie Hoffman. I always forget her name. I mean, those two, oh, they can have their own shows. That'll do part two, you know? They're hilarious. And so, yeah, it's just, it's it's nonstop fun. Yeah, it's really one of those, like, you're not going out to the theater to be moved or inspired, but you're going to the theater to have fun. And, I mean, listen, I'm inspired to create San- Xanadu. Don't give me that look. This was a show <laughs> that when it arrived, and, I mean, look, most people obviously only knew the film. If they knew it at all. Right. Well, a lot of the people that went to the show, they knew the film, and it was like, Oh, Lord, really? Like, are we that desperate that our theaters are now reaching and, like, you know, scratching the bottom of the barrel and this is what they pulled out? And, no, there's a solid story here. This isn't just, like, we took the music of ELO and we put it up on the stage and, you know, here it is. No, there's actually a solid story. And it's cute and romantic and funny and it's played exactly the way it is. If you try to do this in any other way, if you did it with any more seriousness it wouldn't work it had to be this campy it had to be this yes campy. it had to be camp 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 yeah like it had to be ham and cheese like let's have fun you know let's make fun of ourselves because i think that that is what makes this kind of musical the yeah. best is let's make fun of ourselves so moving on with the set one of the cool things is the audience is on stage, and this is a Greek story, so it's what's kind of cool is this makes it feel like a Greek theater. The set looks kind of like a Greek theater. Right. It has those elements of a roller disco where they have the lighting effects, which we'll get to, but um, the way that the set kind of just appears where the audience sits, they look like they're the audience of a Greek theater. Well, and I think it's more it's more or less like not like Greek. It's more like... The 1980s interpretation of Greek. Oh, which everything I think is, is a 1980s interpretation right, of the show. Well, and if you remember, like, you know, we've gone through a couple different reconstruction periods where we hearken back to Greek culture in our architecture. And that's very much what was happening, you know, with a lot of stuff in the 80s is it was like, yeah, we're going to go back to our roots all the way back to Greece. And it's like, oh, oh, oh okay. A yeah. couple other set pieces I want to mention. Um 
There, okay, I am in no way endorsing this. In fact, I'm very much against this, but there is a pirated version, a recording of Xanadu on YouTube, which I showed Hope a couple of clips from. So that she, I could be like, yeah, see, this is what we're talking about. One of the things I remember the most from it is there's a giant mirror. Um, when I saw the show, which I'll get to, I remember just looking up and there was this giant mirror. And I'm like, I wonder where this comes in. They have this giant mirror. I've never seen a mirror like that ever used in a show. And everyone say it with me, disco balls for days. Oh my God. I've Again, I've never seen so many disco balls in my life. They had one giant one, but then by the time the finale hit, like disco balls were appearing from everywhere. You know, it was like the Oprah Winfrey show for disco balls. You get a disco ball. You get a disco ball. It was incredible. You know, you want to talk about ham? Like we're going on. That's where the budget got spent on. How can we really cheese this thing up? Uh, or the vent, the vent that she stood over when she's sitting there doing the serious Olivia Newton-John bright eyes hair blowing 1980s music video look thing and it's just like all right you know i i think this is almost like a precursor to the rock of ages show where it's like we're gonna make fun of everything from the 80s mm-hmm. right here and then of course um well no I, I think that's more of costumes i'm gonna move on to costumes if that's okay with you um let's just say hello neon Hello, Neon. Hi, Neon. There was so much Neon. Oh, yeah, well, because that's how you interpret the 80s is Neon. Neon, tight. Roller skates? Short. Daisy short. Dukes? Yeah, and, and we're not talking about Carrie Butler and Daisy Dukes. We're oh, talking no, about Sonny Jackson. Yeah, Sonny. Yeah, Sonny's sitting there in his short shorts. Acid wash, short shorts. And those glasses when they're doing the, the jazz and the rock song combined, you know? And you've got those um, geometric, two different geometric shaped glasses. I mean, seriously, this was like watching campy 80s films. I just would like to say, even though the source material was created in the 80s, uh, I like the portrayal of the 80s in this show better Mm -hmm. than the actual movie. Also, I just would like to say... I love that the Greek costumes actually looked Greek in this because yes. what the hell is Carrie Butler wearing in the movie? I mean, it looks you like. You mean um, Olivia Newton-John? I'm Newton sorry, John. yeah, Olivia Newton-John. I was like, John. Carrie Butler was not in the movie. No, I don't yeah. think she Olivia was Olivia Newton-John, uh, it looks like she's wearing, like, Nana's drapes and hey, petticoats. 80s. It was weird, <laughs> but it was supposed to look like greek but so i love that the musical actually took it to that greek like costume place which was very nice and i think it helped add into now that we don't have to make fun of the costumes let's focus on making fun of the story well the one thing i will say that i felt either was left out but i'm not mad about honestly was the hair the hair did not really look very 80s and i don't know now hold on i don't know if that's just because like fashion at the time maybe but it didn't none of the hair really screamed 1980s to me carrie butler's hair did not look very farrah fawcett and i don't know if that was maybe they couldn't keep her hair that way or what but it didn't scream 80s now i'm not saying that didn't work but i definitely think it wasn't necessarily meant to be like 1980s uh hair i think it was supposed to be that fine line between like Greek inspired, 80s inspired modern hair. Right. You know, because I think that in order to be able to like 
keep us focused on the plot, there's only so far you can exaggerate the other elements without drawing away from the plot. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's fair. But that, that's just the one thing that I, everything really had a good connection except for that. So I want to go on to the lights, and I've been dying to say these words. It's like a PCP trip in the best way possible. <laughs> no, it really, in fact, one one review actually put it that way. Oh. Um, you know, it's like a rock concert. It really is. And there's like lasers and lights and it's a freaking party. It is awesome. And then, you know, of course, you've got those focus lights to make it look like a disco floor at the squares at points. I mean, people coming out of the floor with smoke and lasers and lights and, and the chalk is being blown away when you mix them in with the projections. I mean, listen, I already asked, did you do an acid trip before you watch the movie? And look, the movie will send you on a trip. The musical with adding the lighting effects, like it just added to it that. It submerges you. It submerges you in the trip. Yeah, it's adding <laughs> that extra level of like, yep, we're going to put you you're not just going to get the cheesy story, the fantastic music. No, we're going to make sure to add that extra element of Yep, here it comes. Here comes that 80s trip kind of thing. And it was great. It was so cool. Um, you know, having the audience have glow sticks at one point at the end of the show. The giant Xanadu sign in the back that was also, like, lighting up like a 1980s sign, you know. I mean, well, and I mean, how many roller discos out there were called Xanadu? Do you remember Hollywood Connections here in Utah? Vaguely. Did you know that that roller rink was called Xanadu? I gotta be honest, I've never been to a roller disco. Oh my gosh, you're missing out, Sorry Andrew. Sorry about my life. Oh. Um, the choreography was super impressive. I mean, how many shows have to incorporate not only like regular choreography, but like choreography and roller skating? That must have been a fun rehearsal process. I mean, I can only imagine the audition process. Like, great, wonderful. And now put your roller skates on and we're gonna do, you know... It was cool, though. That was one of the coolest things about the show is, you know, not only were these actors really working it and their choreography, but then watching the stuff that they did with roller skates eight times a week, perfect. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I've always said about the live theater that I've loved, respected, appreciated over films and that is they get one shot to get it right and they always get it right. It's amazing. Um, and there was great dichotomy in styles at points. You know, you had like jazz tap going on at one point, you know, which was really, really cool. Which harkened back to, fun fact in the movie, Gene Kelly played the role of Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Gene Kelly was an amazing tap dancer. So we had great oh. tap numbers in there. Um, but then, you know, you've got this 80s power rock, yeah, with the fists and the hands and the arms in the air. And listen, I know that we normally talk about, like, we focus on the show, but I just got to say with the musical, or sorry, I know we normally focus on the musical and we don't really talk about the movie, but can I just say, like, watching Olivia Newton-John trying to keep up with her dance skills with Gene Kelly, even though he was older, was... Gene Kelly didn't cute. age. Gene Kelly no. did not age. No, he just got lighter lighter hair. Like, he did yeah. not age. And it was just kind of cute because, you know, we all know Gene Kelly. We know his tap dancing. And it's supposed to be that back and forth, like, I tap, you tap, I tap, you tap. And let's see who can out tap the other. And it was like, oh, yeah, there's no way. And like, he would there's never, just no way. he never played down to anyone. It was like, you come to my level. I don't play down to you. But, right. 
Yeah, so this show, though. I mean, it I had, mean, it had like, you got to say that with the choreography in this show, like, it had some level that it had to beat. Yeah. In well, comparison. I, for, for a show where I felt like the bar was not super high, they were just like, no, we're still a Broadway show, and we're aiming, and they, they surpassed it. It was great. It was absolutely fantastic. Finally, the music. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I encourage all of you go out right now on iTunes or Amazon or Google Play or whatever you, whatever you, the youngins, the the youths out there are buying, are buying the music. Go get the Xanadu the musical soundtrack. I guarantee you know most, if not all, those songs. You have heard those songs somewhere and they just get in your head you know we like i said we watched the movie and then we listened to the album last night and all day long today i've been sitting there as i've been working Xanadu. oh same you know or you know I, I i was i was checking out today while i was working and someone left there you know they they paid for their groceries and they walked away and all i could think is don't walk away <laughs> you know and i'm just like i am pathetic like this is i'm that guy this fun and hilarious show had several notable cast members, including Carrie Butler, who played Clio, Kira, Cheyenne Jackson, who played Sonny, Jackie Hoffman, who played, um, I'm going to butcher the name again, uh, Clio P. Thank you, and Aphrodite, Mary Tessa, who played Melopony and Medusa, Tony Roberts, who played Danny and Zeus. And Whoopi Goldberg, who played Jackie uh, Hoffman's roles. And Andre Ward was in the show. Ah. So. Well, it's also worth noting that oftentimes two of the sisters are played by men in drag. Yes. and But drag is a loose term in this instance. It's it's not drag like we might be thinking with the full on. Sometimes it is, though. Yes, but not. not, not in the original cast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Oh, well, I think it impacted the theater in a way that we didn't think it was going to impact the theater. So this was like the anti-musical. Yes. And what I mean by that is the show, the show's winking attitude towards its own aesthetic uh, abjectness can be summed up like this. And this was, this is a quote from a review. If you can't beat them, slap on some roller skates and join them. In a season where there was so much, there was, there's so much, I don't want to say high art, but like just deep. Yeah. You had shows like A Catered Affair in the Heights, Spring, Spring Awakening. Awakening playing at this point, you know. This show was like, yeah, I'm not going to go that way. I'm just, we're going to have fun. Um, Hilton Al's review in The New Yorker called Xanadu probably the most fun you'll have on Broadway this season. One reason being that everything about it is so resolutely anti-Broadway. In its wildness and ecstasy, 
Xanadu is a welcome relief from the synthetic creations that some Broadway producers have been peddling for years. Here you can't count the disco balls fast enough, not to mention the roller skates, the frosted pink lips, and the glittering spandex that the, that the director, Christopher Ashley, hurls at you like a PCP flashback. Xanadu is a far sleazier and cheesier is far sleazier and cheesier than conventional musical theater, and it points out just how tame most other musicals are. <laughs> I think that is just perfect. The fact that, like I said, go back and look at the two thousand seven two thousand eight Broadway season. This show rose to the top, got a nomination for best musical, new musical. This was this was something that like four people sitting around drinking was like, I got a great idea for a show. Why don't we just try this and see where it lands? And somehow this was a success. And critics saw it and they went, Yeah. This almost is like the Robin Hood thing, you know, the GameStop where it's like, What if we took mm. them or the producers kind of thing. What if we took the worst movie in the world yes. and we put on a show, but it's actually See, so and that's, good. The producers told us that this could happen. So here but we it are. Is, it is. Find the worst 80s movie you can think of and, and put it into a Broadway musical. And it's not saying that this didn't have talent or no. anything. This literally was like, okay, we're going to go see this. And then you're like, I'm having an experience unlike anything I'm having at Broadway. It's not that I'm not feeling anything. It's not that there's not a story being told or anything. I'm literally going to a show and I'm having a ridiculously good time. Well, and I think that it really just goes to show that you need extra talent to be able to take something that is like a cult classic, because let's face it, cult classics are usually that way because they were not a box office hit. Right. And so you have to be able to take that source material and change it up just enough while still retaining the spirit of the cult classic yes. to be able to make it presentable and to make it something that popular audiences enjoy. It brought back the fun to the theater. Uh, theater's always been fun, but it really brought back that essence of fun. Well, and I think it, it mixed that perfect thing of, like, cabaret, quirky, um, like, drunk Shakespeare with yes. Broadway. It was an unconventional story, a show that gave audiences another option. And that's what a big, a, a lasting impact I think it's left there is suddenly you didn't have to have, suddenly the only options weren't, you know, these big names in theater. Suddenly you could have that that kind of like that weird kid, the other option that, you know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Moving on, <clears throat> excuse me, to the societal impact, this show, like we keep saying, it's fun. It provided an escape from the world. It's 2007, 2008. There's a lot happening. You know, the U.S. is in the middle of a recession. There's, It's an election year. Now, look, this was not an election year like what we've it's recently not 2016 seen, level. Or even now. You know, but this was a an election year in the middle of a recession. This this was back when elections were decent. You know, but we've got kind of mostly economic turmoil happening. So this really came at the time where it's like we need some relief. You need, need to go to the theater fun. and just laugh and have a good time. And it brought another kind of audience to the theater, being that cult classic group. And we hadn't really seen that since the Rocky Horror Picture Show came to Broadway. The Rocky Horror Show when it's on Broadway. Well, right. <laughs> and it paved the way, in my opinion, for future fans 
for things like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Mean Girls, and even to some extent, Rock of Ages I, regarding the music. I can't wait till we do Rock of Ages. I, it's going to be a blast. Oh, that's going to be one of my favorites. This show, yeah, the, there's been a lot of films that have been ab- adapted for the stage. This was one of the first ones that was like... Doesn't matter how silly it is. Yeah, you know, Here we know is. how bad the film was. We know that this film, the music is, is a jukebox and could be on Broadway in the worst way possible, but it's we're going to make it work, and it did. Right. Well, and also I love the fact that they took what was the chaos of a 12, 13-minute finale in the movie and turned it into something I actually wanted to watch the entirety of and not just oh, yeah. for the gosh factor. Yeah. So is the show relevant? Roller discos are always relevant. <laughs> I once again I'm drawn back to that word relevant. I think that the question should really be like who should be performing this? Where should it be performed? Because I think that all art has a place to be shared. I think all art has a place to be told. And I think that Xanadu as long as we keep telling the story, Xanadu will always live in our hearts. <laughs> and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Stay right here with Jenny Jones. No, I think the show is relevant. And when I say when we ask this question, I feel like we're talking mainly about Broadway because this is where these are the shows we mainly talk about is Broadway, and so relevant in regards to Broadway. And I think this is a fun and silly show, and I absolutely think this is a very relevant show. It would be a huge financial success on Broadway today. Um. Or let me rephrase that. Would it be a huge financial success on Broadway today? Maybe not. But at the same time, maybe so. Because as we emerge from these dark and tested times, it just might be the fun and fodder we need. It might just be the, you know what? I just need to get back in a theater. And I don't want to go and feel. I just want to laugh. And this, we already have all the elements there. And we could just go and sit there and have a good time. Other thing I want to say on this, and maybe this goes combines theatrical impact and societal impact, but do you think this show would have been as successful had it not been at such a small, intimate space like the Helen Hayes? No, I no that then that's a really good point. I don't think if they had done this show at like the St. James or the Gershwin, it would have had the same effect. It needed that smaller. I needed that intimacy. Yeah. I think the only other stage it could have been is as successful Circle at in the Circle in the Square. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, so um, it's obviously it'd be a huge regional success, a huge community theater Especially success. Especially for theaters in the round. Um, yeah, and but I, I still think it would be incredibly relevant for Broadway because it's it's like any cult movie. You throw it up on the marquee. People are going to come. See, you know what I think would even be better rather than Broadway? This needs to be off-Broadway where there are copious amounts of drinks available to watch. Or even this could be a fun brunch show or a late-late show. Well, one thing I will say, if you're noticing, a lot of shows are coming back for limited runs. And I started seeing this with Hair when it was the Summer of Love. And you see that with Waitress coming back. And I wouldn't be... Or Rock of Ages came back recently for its little... Um, limited run. I wouldn't be surprised to see Xanadu maybe make a six-week run on Broadway. It's... Don't tell me that that giant mirror is not somewhere in storage in New Jersey. Is oh, all it I'm is. saying. You know? Oh, it is.
finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. So. So. I got to see the show in 2008. Listen, I have not been able to see the sh- the musical, but I have seen the music. M- music? The music? The music, because it's a movie about muses. Uh. <laughs> So, I remember seeing Xanadu on the Tonys, being introduced by Lily Tomlin. L-M-A-O. Never forget that. Anyway, I remember seeing this performance at the Tonys and swearing I would never see the show. I remember hearing that and vowing, like him vowing, I am never going to see that show. I would show. never see a show about da, roller da, 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 da. And then when he told me he had gotten tickets well, to hold see on, hold Xanadu. On. Hold on. So I vowed I would never see the show. Like I was like, no, never. You will never see me go see a show about roller disco. Well, while I was on this trip with my friend Watson in 2008, we... Had an, uh, an open evening that we needed to go find tickets, for, uh, a show for. And that opening scene from the show is actually based on what happened. We uh, left our hotel, which was over on the east side by Grand Central Station. We walked over to the theater district and everything from 46th Street up to 52nd Street was blocked off. And what had happened was there had been a bomb threat. So all the theaters from 46th Street to 52nd Street were closed. Right. And also, all I want to do is take this time to say, Andrew, one of the few people who discovers a bomb threat, eh, I'll just choose a different theater. Yeah. Well, I was just like, whatever. It is what it is. So we really did go to Schubert Alley because we were trying to figure out, well, what's left to be to see. And as we're looking at all the um, posters there, Sure enough, well, all I see at first is Whoopi Goldberg. And I was like, oh, my God, what's Whoopi Goldberg in Xanadu? And I was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, well, I mean, it's open. So we walked over to 44th Street to the Helen Hayes Theater. And we walk in at, to the box office and say, hey, can, do you have any tickets for tonight? And he goes, yeah. Um, and this is the price. And I was like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's too expensive. I'm sorry. And I go to leave and the guy goes, wait, 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 you guys look like, too, you know, you need a show. How do you feel about sitting on the stage? And I was like, and I don't care. That's fine. Okay. Well, I've got tickets on the two tickets up to the stage. They're $26 a piece. And I was like, all right, great, cool. Let's, I'll take them. Okay. Bought the tickets. We come back later that night. Friendliest usher in the world tall glasses i'll never forget her but she was just like just so you know once you're here you can't leave blah 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 blah. here's your glow stick and yada 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 and we had to get there early before the house opened too that was the other thing so we're sitting there and what the reason why we had to get there early is we had to get settled in and then the actors would come out and meet you and it's the actors who are in your section essentially well who should be assigned to our section but whoopi goldberg <laughs> So she comes out and she's introducing herself to us and the people around us. And she's just like, hey, we're going to be interacting with you. Is anybody here, you know, improv or anything? And of course, my buddy and I'm like, yeah, it's us. So we were excited. Show starts and it's great. We're having fun. We're getting to improv. Um, there's a point um, during Strange Magic. Um, Mary Testa felt my face up. It- she she's walking right behind the audience and she's singing and Mary Tess is just lifting up on my face and everything. It was amazing. Um, and of course we got to dance with glow sticks in the back. And Whoopi Goldberg. And Whoopi Goldberg improved with us. 
um, which is cool. We got to have little one-liners with her. Um, after the show, we went and did the stage door where we got to meet Mary Testa and Carrie Butler and Cheyenne Jackson and get Webby Goldberg's autograph. And the coolest thing was after the show, we went next door to Sardi's. Literally right next door. Yeah. And like you do, favorite place on earth. And my buddy Watson and I switched the, or split the baked Alaska for two. And we're sitting there, here today, you know, dessert, like you do. And when I, you know, we were done and I asked for the check, no big deal. The waiter comes over and I'm, you know, I was expecting the check and he goes, the check has been paid for. Ms. Goldberg says, thank you. And I was like, what? What? And my buddy and I look at each other like, oh my God. We'll be going broke to our dessert at Sardi's. So, pretty cool. Not going to drop a swear word on an episode we haven't sworn on. So, as things begin to return to normal and the theater world starts to turn its lights back on, we look forward to seeing the show again. Hopefully, you'll be able to catch Xanadu at a roller disco. I mean, a theater near you. We just want to take this moment again to remind all of our listeners to continue to help foster the performing arts wherever they are at these venue, as these venues continue to reopen. Please join us in doing your part to help the arts return by supporting a live performance near you. Please! We would also like to close our, at our show by giving a shout out to a few of our listeners out there. So to our friends in Southern California and in, the, in Connecticut, we say hello and thank you very much for listening. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. like what you hear please leave a five-star review like and subscribe you can also find us on facebook instagram and twitter at stage whisper pod and feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stage at gmail.com our theme song is fox by music for wildlife other music on this episode provided by ultra cat loyalty freak music Komiku and Billy Murray. <laughs> <laughs>